Hey guys, welcome to the Cool Christian Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Centeno. On this podcast is where I get to ask questions like the nerd that I can be, looking to learn from the cool Christian nerds I know around me that have something to teach. Now let's dig in. For this series, I really want to get into things that are happening here in Philadelphia. So I'm calling it my Philly special and I'm interviewing and talking to different people throughout Philadelphia that are that are impacting, that are influencing, that are leaders and doing something positive in our communities and in our city. Today, I'll be talking with the Philadelphia School District Assistant Superintendent, um, Deborah Carrera. And so, um, how are you doing, Debbie? I'm good. I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm so glad you can be here in studio. Uh, we're basically, we're going to be exploring what the condition of the public education in Philadelphia is like. And so we know we're coming from your opinion, from what you've seen, which is pretty vast. It's not like, a, it's not like you're seeing it in a micro. You're seeing it very macro. You're seeing it, seeing it from a different perspective and being involved. And so look forward to you just really sharing that for our audience to be really aware of some things on how they can either be knowing how to support, how to pray, how to get involved. Mm -hmm. Look forward to all that stuff. But first, let's get to know you. Did you always want to be in education? Like, were you like one of those little girls that were growing up and saying, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be in education. I'm going to do this when I get older. What was, what was that like for you? What was your journey um, that ended you here, ended you up in the place where you are now? So, yeah, growing up, I, I actually wanted to be a fashion designer. Okay. But I grew up in a Pentecostal home. So when my mom shut that dream down and said, you can't be a Christian <laughs> and be a fashion designer. Wow. Um, it or it'd be very limited <laughs> as far as how you're dressing people. Exactly. If it's going to be that. So. Right. And, and I could only wear skirts. So it was very, <laughs> right. very limited at mm. that time. So I had to kind of figure out what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. However, the church really did play a integral part in teaching for me because at the age of 13, I was given the opportunity to teach um, preschool. Mm-hmm. And I clearly remember getting my first curriculum, David Cook curriculum. I had mm. my teacher's guide, my illustrations, and I just fell in love with teaching. I fell in love with it. I knew that this is something I definitely wanted to do. So when I went to high school, I went to Northeast High School. They had like a, um, a child development program. Made sure I got involved in that, and we worked. They actually had an actual daycare at the school, and uh, worked there. As uh, you know, took a class, and that was my class. And then when I went to Temple, I knew I wanted to do elementary education. Like there was just no, no doubt in my mind that that was what God wanted me to do. Wow. So, how did you end up there? I mean, was it school, and how did you do that in light of you know? married or did you go to school before you got married what was the journey like that you ended up um getting your first job in the school system yeah well the lord has i mean like i've always been you know just stepping a little bit back uh you know my mom did not finish school so my mom only had has a sixth grade education and then my dad um fourth grade and so um, I share this a lot when I share my leadership story that, you know, I grew up in a home where no one read a book to me at all. And um, you were pretty much on your own as far as school. And so teachers definitely had a huge impact on my life because school became like this great escape for me to, you know, growing up with a mom, you know, single home, six kids. And you know, it was pretty chaotic, a lot, very, very, you know, we love the Lord, but there was a lot of dysfunction there. 
And uh, school just became this place where I could participate in plays and be a part of something bigger and church as well. Um, and so that I just knew that that was something that, that I wanted to do. And um, when I graduated Northeast High School at 17, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to stay local. I didn't want to go away. And um, when I went to Temple University, um, I got married at 21. So like 1994 was a huge year for my life because I graduated, got married, and started a new job and moved out of my house. So I was a, one of those good Puerto Rican girls that stayed home. Uh, until you got married, and so mm-hmm. September of 1994 was huge because of all these transitions. And so I, I had the the joy of going uh, to to teach at Potter Thomas Elementary School, which was the elementary school that I went to oh. on Six in Clearfield. Wow. And when I went to teach, the same principal I had when I was a little girl was still there. Wow. Faye Melendez, the first Puerto Rican female principal in Philadelphia. So. I, when I was a child at Potter Thomas, like I just said, like I was nurtured, I was cared for. It was one of the very few schools at that time where predominantly most of the teachers were Latino. Mm. So here you have this Puerto Rican child seeing people that look like her and mm. identifying with these these women, predominantly women, to say like, this is something I can do. Um, and the cool part about going to Potter Thomas was I wasn't supposed to be there. It wasn't my neighborhood school. And my mom, you know, put somebody else's address down, okay, yeah. got me there. And it was like a game changer. It was mm-hmm. definitely a game changer. So I got the honor of going back to the school I went to as an elementary child and teaching there. And it was like coming home. It was a great experience. Same principal, that same nurturing, loving um, environment. And then from there, I was just like, uh, I just want to do more. And I saw the principalship as the avenue to do more. Wow. So would you say that this principal was a real role model that you can look at and aspire to say, hey, I'm trying to get there. And that kind of drove you to do even more after that. Yeah, this woman, like she had the thickest accent ever. And mm. it was just like crazy, um, you know, when you think about it. But it, it just felt like here's this woman I could identify with. Like she just loved the kids. She was our principal. She looked like me. She talked like me. So like that didn't even seem unreachable. Like, yeah, I could do I could do what she's doing. Wow. You kind of outlearned your parents, it sounds, by maybe the sixth or seventh grade. Yeah. You were you were pretty much on a path to outlearn them, especially when you get to high school. All of a sudden those are things that are kind of foreign to them. And it sounds like um, even as you were pursuing your education and higher education, that you were in some ways breaking generational patterns Mm -hmm. um, by stepping into something that was foreign to maybe your other family, um, which is an amazing feat to be able to do that. So how did you end up uh, as the assistant superintendent? What's the journey that brought you there? I mean, that's that's probably the beginning that you were in that school. You were a teacher. Um, Yeah, what what were the steps or... Yeah, what did that career look like to get you to where you are? Yeah, I, I after Potter Thomas and, and doing teaching there for about five years, it wasn't a huge long time. Um, I became a, an assistant principal at, at one of the toughest elementary schools in Philly at um, Elkin Elementary on Dean Allegheny, and that that really became like the, the the three years of if I can do it here, I can do it anywhere. Yeah, it's like your rites of passage. That was my rites of passage. <laughs> like I earned my stripes. It uh-huh. was like a thousand four hundred K to four kids. 
three buildings, and uh, we, we had seven uh, kindergartens, classes in the uh, Salvation Army, a little schoolhouse, and the main building. And our goal was just to make sure that everybody got home safely every day. I mean, it was wow. that it was that intense. And uh, then from there, uh, you know, I was tapped to take on McKinley Elementary on Diamond and Orkney. And again, um, I had had my first son, and I didn't think I could do it because I was just a brand new mom. And um, again, another very well known Latina administrator in the district at that time called me and said, "You're going to take the job." And your mom's going to take care of your baby, and you're going to be okay. And that's exactly what happened. So mm. I took McKinley. My mom stepped up and said, I will help you. And those were some, like, five of the best years of my life. And then from there, um, another uh, assistant superintendent said, we really want you to take a high school. I don't want to do high school. I was like, yeah, no. Um, I don't want to I don't want to work with teenagers. No, thank you. Let me have the babies. They're like, nope, we see you in high school. We know you can do a great job, and we have the right high school for you, Kensington High School. I was like, are you kidding me? Kensington High School? No. Um, but that, you know, God had different plans, and I ended up going to Kensington High School and spending, like, seven amazing years of my life at that school. And then from there, it was, like, the same thing. Another leader was like, you really should be an assistant superintendent. So, like, all throughout the career, like, God has really placed people strategically to um, open the doors for me. And I've been an assistant superintendent for five years. Wow, so were you in any of those um, places, you're really turning around things, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. that caught people's eye, uh, that the school might have started one way, but with your leadership, there, was a, there were changes that were happening, is that right? Yeah, yeah, especially, like McKinley was a big one, because McKinley, when we were walked in there, I mean, it, it, threw me back, it definitely looked like a prison to me, very institution, institutional looking, just like the gray exterior, bars, and it was just like... And that was elementary school. Elementary, and, mm -hmm. and K to 8, and mm -hmm. it was just like, how do... Pre-K, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Like, how do children come into this building? Like, this is just scary. Yeah, drab. And I'll tell you, and, and it is God's favor, and that is the honest truth. Um, in that first year that I started at McKinley Elementary School, um, the Eagles Youth Partnership adopted our school, built a brand new playground, murals inside and outside the school, Pennsylvania Holocultural Society came alongside. Um, we did outdoor classrooms, and then the school was actually featured in American Educator Magazine, which is like a national magazine, um, because we were one of the first urban schools in Philly to start with green spaces and outdoor classrooms. Mm. And then um, at Kensington Kappa, you know, walking into Kensington, it was just like literally like the movie Dangerous Minds. It was that crazy, like literally. Kids just coming to school with no book bags. Like, education was not the culture. It was just like a place to come, sell drugs, hang out. Nobody has expectations of me. And it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep and allow that nonsense to happen because, you know, education was my, my I call it my Willy Wonka ticket. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what really took me out of poverty. Um, and so, how you know, I brought that fire and that passion that like, yeah, we're not doing this. Like we focused on culture, heavy, heavy building. You know, my mantra for my kids was like, we're family. I am with you seven and three quarters of a day. I'm with you more than my own children and that's by choice. So we're, we might be dysfunctional, but we're gonna be a family and we're gonna work through this and I'm gonna want for you the same that I want for my kids. So you, college and or career has to be the option. And it starts with bringing a book bag. 
And it starts with bringing books. So we ended up buying composition books for the whole school. Like, no no excuses, no barriers. Um, the cell phones were crazy. We were collecting collecting 350 cell phones a day um, because it was like, you're going to focus, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to create an environment for you, teacher, that all you have to do is teach. Just teach. Don't fight about a phone. Don't fight about paper. Don't fight about pens. Just teach. Um, and yeah, we, we seven years, we transitioned into a $43 million facility, a state-of-the-art Leeds Platinum facility with like geothermal heating, and the kids just saw that the hard work pays off. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, I got to meet you when we were um, doing our church plant yeah. there in uh, Lawrence and Susquehanna, which was right across the street from McKinley. What year was that when we God. met? How... How far were you in? Were you like two to three years in already? Probably the beginning, yeah, like two to three be- years, yeah. You just yeah. had your son like recently yeah, or something? Yeah, because I don't even know where the murals are already up or the playground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so I had just had Micah. That was mm. like 17 years ago. Wow, that is that is uh, bizarre. What a journey you've had. So I want to ask you this. You've mentioned um, that uh, you, you had a faith upbringing. You grew up in church, and then there's this educational part to what you do as well, how does your Christian beliefs benefit how you approach your work? It has 100%, uh, 100% of my beliefs have to do with how I approach the work. So it's, you know, a lot of people get confused um, with, you know, the separation of church and state and they get, I think they get that a little distorted. Um, But my beliefs are, are so, at the core of the mission of my work. So whether I was a teacher in a classroom or an assistant principal or a principal or assistant superintendent, the core is the same, right? My, my role, this is not a job, it's a mission for me, right? Mm-hmm. It is, it's Micah 6-8 for me. It's about, these are an oppressed people, right? These are children that need opportunities. And what is my role as a servant leader to serve, serve families, serve teachers, serve the community, to create an environment where kids can get the best education that we can afford them. So my beliefs are very at the center of how I build teams and what do those teams look like and how everyone on the team has a voice. So whether it's a team of students, students have a voice. Whether it's a team of parents, what parents bring to the table. Whether it's a team of teachers, what, you know, their voice as well. Um, And then creating that sense of urgency that you know our time is limited with our children and and whether whatever role we're in you know how are we urgently addressing the needs of those kids so yeah my faith definitely um i think in every job that i've held in the district um people do know that i'm a pastor i mean it comes out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's just it's part of who i am Mm -hmm. um and you know you I talk a lot about the heart, and I think that that's not what people talk a lot about in education as far as people's heart and, you know, checking our hearts and making sure that our hearts are in the right places. Like, Or, you know, you can't give what you don't have. So I might not be saying the Christian language or the Christianese, but I'm definitely ministering to the hearts of people and pulling to the spirit that's in them because God breathed spirit into all of us so that you're walking around with people that have the spirit of God in them. And it's just like, how do you pull into that to help them see that this is so much bigger than us? What, what do you say? Um, this, this is the thought I was thinking as you were sharing. 
is has has there been more barriers you feel with you being uh, a, a woman that's a minority or has it been more barriers to overcome being a person of faith? Um, wow, I, that's a great question. And I think that, you know what, Pastor, like, I like literally wear my faith on my like sleeve. Like it's, it's, it's so part of my every day mm-hmm. that I, maybe the barrier is more women and minority than, than the faith piece because wow. you would be, I think it's, it's, and we'll probably get to this later. Um, well, I'm not going into a school and I'm not trying to convert the school and that's not what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. But people do understand and it's and it's always it's always part of my messaging that my faith is so integral to me and to who I am and to what I do and to this work. Um, it guides you. It and, guides me. And I find with people who are, um, that carry their beliefs, their Christian beliefs into their career, it actually enhances it. A lot of people look at their careers as a career, but oftentimes because of the faith that we have, we look at it as a mission. Yeah. It's not just, we're here for mission. We're here for purpose and not just to collect a paycheck. That's right. And so it drives us differently. And even the principles that we read in the Bible are conducive to leadership development and training that benefits whoever you are. That's right. As long as you're interested in growing your abilities and capacities, the Bible has something to say about that and ways to not only move us to action, but heal the heart and get to the the right motives in which we bring about those actions. And so, yeah, when, when people just look at outcomes alone and they backtrack and realize, man, their faith has been serving these outcomes, I can't I'm not going to push back on the faith because it's actually bringing these positive outcomes. And it's a witness, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes the witness. It becomes the testimony that, and, and I'll never forget this. One of my teachers at Kensington Kappa who stopped teaching and, you know, she went to Africa to do bigger things and, you know, graduate work. She was like, you know, I was thinking about you. We connected. And she's like, I knew that Jesus had to be real because of what I saw you the things that you did was just like there has to be a Jesus because mm-hmm, there's just mm-hmm. no way. Mm-hmm. And this is from somebody that's not not a believer, right? Not, but she's like, I just knew that this Jesus had to be real because the things that you were able to do for the kids, it was just like there's just no way. Yeah, he's a way maker, right? And then you're so many ways have been opened up to you, and it's like that's that's who our God is. Well, he's and, a way and it maker. was funny because even with my teachers, I would always, when when things would happen, they'd be like, "How did this happen?" And I would just like point out, like y'all, like y'all already know. Are y'all already asking this question? Are you really mm-hmm. asking it? Because mm-hmm. they would be like, "How did? Th- are you asking this question? Mm-hmm. Like, how did we get a playground, the whole uh, yard, you know, paved over again? All these different. And like, are you really asking that question? So I mean the 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 testimony is the fruit of the faith yeah. and people see it and they may not know exactly what it's called but they know it's something different mm-hmm. and then that kind of acts you know that attracts them to finding out like what is this tell me a little bit more about this yeah well let's kind of change gears here yeah. because I want us to look at uh, something that I think is interesting when it comes to the public education in Philadelphia yeah. So I've been hearing different things, but you can tell me better. Um, just like uh, 
what is the condition from your perspective of the public uh, education institution in Philadelphia? Is it improving? Is it getting worse? Is it staying the same? Um, yeah, from, from where you stand and where you sit, how do you see things looking here in Philadelphia? I mean, I think there's definitely, we can look at it three different ways. I mean, there's definitely positives. There's there's some good things that are definitely happening. Um, there are definitely some challenges, right? And there's, of course, places that we need to grow. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the positives as far as with the school district. Um, just like on a structural piece, like the district is divided into 13 like smaller districts and there's like assistant superintendents for each of those areas. Um, and then this year we're actually dividing them into high schools and into elementary schools. So there's from a, like a structural piece, there's more okay. focus. So I, I have 15 high schools that I'm responsible for and next year I'm gonna have 19. And I'm excited about that because I don't, you know, I can work with the high school leaders in a different way. Mm -hmm. So I think that's always, um, I think that to me that's something super positive. Um, Academically, we've seen that there has been some growth, especially um, in our third grade. So a, a large focus has been on early literacy. So um, a lot of dollars and investments have been made in early literacy, and we're expanding that to fourth and fifth grade. So I'm really excited about that because, as you know, um, Pastor, that, you know, you can, there's research that shows that you can already, you know, prisons, are, a lot of prisons are already built based on third grade reading data. So oh, wow. kids that cannot read by third grade there's a statistical correlation and in it, that they will there, there will be some involvement in crime yep. that will lead to prisons, et cetera. So the fact that we've been attacking, you know, one of our anchor goals is that 100% of our eight-year-olds are going to be reading on grade level. So that's pretty strategic, and our resources have been put to back that up. So those are some positive things. I think the challenges, and I've always said this, that if, if folks want to see the conditions of society, look into a public school mm. because you see everything. You mm. see it all. So you see the rejection, the abandonment. You see the hurt, the suffering. You see the neglect. You see the hunger, the deprivation. You see it all. So it's like a microcosm of uh, what's happening in a neighborhood or in a city. Got it. Just look at the public school. That's right. You dissect that. You're like, this is what's happening in our communities. That's it. Wow. That's it. That's it. You mm. see the, the conditions of the heart, and you see, I think the biggest thing to me that I see, you know, and I've gone through so many, I mean, this is my 25th year with the school district, mm -hmm. and you see the hurt, right? So um, this year has been very challenging in some of my schools because a lot of kids, especially the middle grades, there's been like a, a, a spike in suicidal ideations. Mm. Um, and these are kids that are coming from middle-class families, these are not, I'm not even talking about like our poor children. Um, in the elementary schools, um, you're seeing a lot more anger, especially with the kindergartners, just a display of it also, like anger rage. Yeah, yeah. Um, where it could take one child, it could be a child in one classroom and another child in another classroom, and that can just disrupt the total environment for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, because it's, 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 the, it's an internalization of what kids are experiencing at home, yep. culture, media. You know, our kids have so much more access to information, and we can see the effects of that in the public education. And I would even say in private, I, could think, I think in education, 
I think teachers across the board are seeing some of these issues surfacing. Are a lot of teachers feeling overwhelmed, do you think? It's just for some of them who might not even have a faith background, they don't even know how to like wrap their brains or or anything around this that they say, how can we reverse this or improve this? And that's a big, um, you know, one of the biggest priorities that, that the district has been addressing and working alongside with the mayor and trying to come up with some viable solution. It's the mental health issue. The mm-hmm. mental health issue is um, it's increasing significantly. And like I mentioned earlier, from young babies to high school kids, I mean, I experienced some of it with some of my kids, um, you know, with the different diagnosis of bipolar or um, bipolarity or schizophrenia. And these are kids that may not be going to therapy on a consistent basis or may not be taking medication on a consistent basis. So there's the mental health, behavioral health, um, and I'm going to use the word crisis because it is a crisis, mm-hmm. um, I think, in our city. Um, you have, I mentioned Elkin earlier, um, and that's that's a school that is like at the epicenter of the opioid epidemic. So you have schools like Elkin where many of these children are products of parents that have used wow. um, or that are addicted or that are in the system. Um, and so... The, the, the areas of growth are that, you know, the district is recognizing that these kids need something different, right? So whether you're a kid from Elkin or you're at Cramp or you're at Welsh on Fort Fen York, we're start, the district is, has started to look at the environment that the kids are coming from and then what can we do differently for, for those schools. So social workers, um, a lot of conversations with PPD, um, we just had a youth summit uh, with over 200 kids from Kensington High School, um, and kids are really talking about solutions to their education in the midst of this this um, heroin epidemic. It's amazing that you're not just doing what typically schools would do in times past, where it's just we're just here to educate. Now you have to have all these support systems and other things beyond that, um, which you and I would probably say one of the contributing factors, um, and, and, and others as well, is the breakdown of the family yeah. has actually been the result of the education system doing some things that are somewhat parental and some, something even above and beyond. But you said something. You said suicide ideation. I don't think I've ever heard that before. And what I'm guessing that means is they're having thoughts of suicide. Because that basically it? And, That's it. And you're kind of hearing yeah. them talk about it in a way that, now you guys can move towards it? Yes, exactly. Mm. So, And a lot of it is driven by social media. Yeah, it produces anxiety. There's, there's anxiety, stress levels, all these other types of things um, that come with the, the social media and depending who they're following and who they're comparing themselves to. And, and addiction. So, like, you know, I've addictive. been reading research yep. on cell phone addiction. Um, it's real. And, and it's real. And uh, the largest group of uh, young people that are addicted are are girls and 14 year olds not to negate that there's other people mm-hmm. or you know less than that there's other people that are addicted but it's a real problem and mm-hmm. that it does create almost the same level of anxiety as a, a drug right. like you know you well, kids are the having higher this, forms of drugs yeah yeah that you same. have to have it i have and, to have it yep and, and and you don't can't function without it yeah and you get depressed and you get depressed and, and you, you have mood swings and yep. you're irritable and you're not focused so now you imagine 
bringing all of that into the school. And so that's, so teachers, like you said it, uh, Pastor, like today, today's teacher, it's, it's much more than just, I'm here to teach you, right? I'm also a pseudo parent. I'm a counselor. I'm yeah. a therapist. Um, I'm going to cook. security I'm guard. I'm going to feed you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to feed them. I mean, forget yeah. it. It's slash, yeah. slash this. Yeah. Where does, do you know where are we as far as a, the public education um, in Philadelphia, where does it fall in light of other inner cities throughout America? Where are we on that? Are we are we one of the better ones for inner cities, or are we pretty low when it comes to um, the status of I public guess education? It depends on who you ask, right? Okay. <laughs> I heard I heard negative. Reports, oh by the lord! Way. I'm like, it, but this might be old. Well, I mean, we're definitely losing population, right? So we used to be one of the top 10. We're not one of the top 10 anymore. So we're like the 19th largest um, district. We used to be top 10. We're not. Um, State, in the state, based on, uh, there's a fourth grade assessment, fourth grade. Um, We're not doing well academically. Like, we're we're literally in the same category as Detroit. So that's just, Mm -hmm. give that some context. Um, yeah. So we need to do better. We need to do better. Um, so we are not where we need to be. Um, and that's what I was meaning. Yeah, academically, where academically, are we? No. And so we're Detroit, and Detroit is the lowest. It's it's lowest yeah, in the country. It's it's, it's yeah, wow. it's in the bottom. And we're we're right there with them. Yeah, yeah, we're not doing well. We're not mm-hmm. doing well. And um, I can, I think a lot of it has also to do with legislature and who's in Harrisburg and mm-hmm. who are the people in Harrisburg and what are their opinions of Philadelphia and I think that that's a big big contributor to um, I mean right now we did an assessment if we had um, 4.8 billion dollars we can get all of our school buildings up to um, standard up mm-hmm. to standard right so even just starting with infrastructure and looking at buildings and facilities and you know, yeah, some kids have a beautiful $43 million facility and others still have to go to schools that smell like urine when you're walking through the doors. Mm-hmm. So there, there's some schools still have old school boilers, you know, other schools have geothermal heating. So there's definitely a, a disparity, disparity mm-hmm. in, it could be from one street to the next. So there's like really no logical, you can't say, oh, it's this neighborhood, it's that neighborhood. It, it could be, it's across the board. And so like, those are the pieces, like, yeah, who wants to come to a school that's crappy looking? Nobody wants to do that. Like, it's like when I talked about McKinley, like, that was so important to renovate that school. And, and we did. We, we said it went from a prison to a paradise, right? Like, we were able to do that. Um, but, you know, if, if we don't have the resources to get these buildings up to par. And then also across the board nationally, the teaching profession is seeing a decline. Right. And one of the major reasons, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit. It's like teachers are not just teaching. It's so much more that a lot of um, young people now, they, I mean, they, they, they have so many other options. And, um, and a lot of the young people you see now, like, they may hold five, six, ten jobs in their career. And this is not something that they look at and say, oh, I want to stay in education all my life. Right. Wow. So I want to put on a different hat. I want to put on the parent hat yeah. and talk to you in terms of as a parent and the my children or other people's children, and they're going to school, and, and 
and from what I'm hearing, some of the things that are being included in their education are curriculums. Mm -hmm. And some of those curriculums, from what I heard, um, and my kids went to private school and, uh, and other things, so they didn't really get exposed to this, but that's not necessarily the case for some of our public schools, where um, there's curriculum being approved that is actually beyond maybe um, just the basic education of what they need to learn. It's, it's teaching them ideologies, mm -hmm. um, and ideologies that would be, you know, what we would consider like anti-Christian, um, but... Uh, ideology to our children, not to maybe um, kids in high school, but even as young as they can get them, ideology on their sexuality mm -hmm. and uh, things on, on that nature where where it's kind of in trend with the culture, um, the popular cultural things, and so introducing them to like same-sex type of parenting and things like that. Is this really happening, first of all? And um, if so... How is that content getting into the system when I would believe most of our parents are like traditional in their beliefs? Most of the parents, but um, other people might be making the decisions to get that curriculum into our schools. Um, educate me on that. Like, what's that look like? So, um, I don't know if it's happening, um, but it could happen. So, because it's a public school and... Um, public meaning that it's open to everybody, anybody, and it's part of, uh, I don't want to say, uh, it's open to everyone. There are a, a few policies, That's what I, that was the word that I was looking for, that allow for the, the teaching of what you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I don't see it happening often, but I can't say that it's not happening. Um, teachers still have a lot of flexibility. So teachers have to teach the common core standards. Those are pretty much the same and they're pretty generic. How I teach them or what materials I use to teach them can differ based on teacher to teacher. So there may be a teacher in a classroom somewhere that is using maybe a book about same-sex marriages or I have two moms. There may be, um, but I, I haven't seen it, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening or that the, the opportunity for it to happen is, is, it is not there. It is there, mm -hmm. and that's one of the, I mean, parents also have to be aware and, and have to be involved mm -hmm. on what their, you know, what their children are doing. So I have three kids in the public school system, and it's just that continual conversation about what are you learning can I see what you're learning? What are you reading? You know, let's let's look at your homework together. Um, you got you have to be informed all the way up to high school. What are you learning? What novel are you reading? Can you tell me what that novel is about? Um, oh, okay, it's about that. Okay, I know that my son in one instance, he didn't, but his friend was uh, the teacher introduced a novel that was a um, it was like a comic book, but it was very sexual. It was like pornographic. Um, and, you know, the parent spoke to the school and, you know, they removed it. But technically, that teacher was able to teach that. Right. So that's what I'm saying, that it may not be happening. It may not be happening as much, but it is happening. Would you say that um, it would have to get through the principal? So the principals would be 
pretty aware of what's happening. And then maybe even um, parent-teacher boards would also be approving of some of those things? Yeah, so absolutely. So the principal should be checking the lesson plans, Mm -hmm. right? So teachers plan, and they definitely follow their plans. So as that principal is checking the lesson plan, it should be, there should be some, you know, they should be able to see awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, And all the schools have what we call a SAC, a school advisory council, so that when there's concerns or issues or questions, like that's the vehicle for parents to say, hey, we have a concern. You know, these books... People have been reading these books, or this is not okay, or I don't. I want my kid to opt out. So those are all the options as well. Um, but remember that, like again, the, the 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 public school is a public entity that is funded with state dollars, and there are policies that um, protect all people. So whether you know, despite your sexual orientation, your race, your gender, etc., um, it's not only a protection of that policy, but also there's a level of awareness that has to be uh, taught or developed or, you know, presented to schools. And it looks different in many schools. Right, right. That's helpful. So what can people in the community, like churches and parents, do that the government monies can't do? Because, you know, we were, a lot of times in schools, like, we need more government money to to function. And I think those are things that could be helpful um, however, I'm just wondering, there might be some intangible or other things that only community and parents can do that funding um, can't totally solve. So what does that look like? And yeah, what and that's the exciting that? part of this conversation, that if there was ever a time, this is a great time for churches to partner with schools, that churches, uh, that schools are so open to a partnership that doesn't necessarily mean what financial resources church can you bring to my school. So, I mean, I think one of the key things that churches can do is pray for a school in their in their neighborhood or across the street from you. Um, that's a big one. Like, like really intercede and pray and, you know, get specific about what that prayer is going to be for. From that principal's name to, you know, teachers Pray, cover those schools um, with with the blood of Christ. And then number two, really have that conversation with that principal or their designee and how can we support you? How can we come alongside you? So um, each church is different. Some churches have far more reach than others and the capacity is different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the churches really have to look at what is it that they can really realistically do. Um, There are churches that are able to tutor. Some of them are not. Opening your doors at the end of the day to just have kids have like a safe program. place, mm-hmm. just a safe, you know, that, that after school programming is so critical because right now the school district doesn't have any after school programs. And we used to have after school programs and we couldn't fund them any longer. But, you know, churches opening their doors for after school programming, for tutoring. Um, how do you build relationships with kids, with teachers? So, really taking on that servant role. Um, cooking a meal for the teachers, right, on a, one of their in-service days, um, writing the teacher's cards, encouragement. I mean, those are things that are like, that doesn't cost anything. You know, mm-hmm. teachers, we've been praying for you. Here's some cards. Can we put them in their mailboxes? Um, 
We want to wash your cars today, teachers, you know, for free. You know, we appreciate you. We thank you for what you're doing with our kids and how you're helping our kids. These are our kids. So I think that if we take on the role as how can we serve this institution that is impacting the lives of generations and look at it that way, that the school is, it is the unit of change. And it's either positive change or negative change. And then how can we come alongside as a church in our capacity and what we can do and, you know, not overpromise because if you overpromise, then we make, we make God look bad and we don't want mm-hmm. God to look bad mm-hmm. in front of anybody. But how can we serve? And that's, you would be amazed at how schools are open to say we need help, like, especially because of the mental health, behavioral health issues, they need help. No, that's, these are great examples. I just think about, we talk as a clergy of how thankless our job is. I can't imagine that for teachers, how thankless their job can be um, with, you know, students. They're getting it sometimes from each end, right? The students and then yeah. the district and then the parents. And, and it's almost like, can we do anything, you know, right some days, you know, and I'm sure there's, there's people who not appreciate them, but you could just see that there's probably great need in specific areas. And I would think that's some, for some of us, especially in the inner city setting, how much more we need to be attentive to that. So, yeah, and, and, and one of the big things too with the teachers is that even they, they're experiencing trauma. So their trauma is like very taboo right now. Nobody's talking about it. Mm. Because it is traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're dealing with kids that are struggling or haven't eaten or their parents are addicted or they're breaking down in front of you or they've experienced people dying in front of them and you're just like, I mean, I had students who were just like, hey, where were you yesterday? Oh, I just had an abortion. What? Oh, no. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. So the trauma that the adults are experiencing is real as well. And the church can definitely just come in and just, you know, it sounds so simple. It's just like loving on people, loving yeah. on people, loving on people, um, yeah. loving on people. No, that's that's so good. I'm so glad you mentioned those different things and gave some specifics uh, because I was going to ask about just like what are some first steps of people who want to explore being a part of the solution. And you answered that very mm-hmm. well of what those types of things can look like and, and to kind of humanize what some of these these teachers are human, you know, and yep. they're experiencing things that are beyond what they went to school to get educated in, in terms of what they're going to, um, the information they were called to give the kids. It's a lot more than that. And I'll tell you, one of the things that we've done um, before, and I would encourage, and I'll tell you the schools are that open, like we've actually gone in and anointed schools hmm. and, and principals have been open to that. Once you build a relationship and, and I mean, and I, I just need to emphasize it even more that people are hungry. <laughs> they need help. There's an SOS and it's big and it breaks my heart. Even in my situation, like when our church was like, we need to open these doors. There's kids walking right past us and we have the answer and we're just, you know, we have to step up yeah. to that calling. Wow. So last question here. This is the Philly special edition of Cool (laughs) Christian Nerds podcast. And I just wanted to find out, as you've been, I mean, you were born and raised in in the city. Yes. Of Philly. Yes. So what are one of those special things that you adore 
about our city that people who are not from here or maybe from here would say, oh, I know what she's talking about or I didn't know that about Philly. What's one of the special things that Philly has going on? All right. This, this, this is called the Christian Nerds Podcast. <laughs> yeah, so cool I'm going to stay with the, with the theme. Okay. So like one of the best, like, and I don't think it's a hidden place, but Valley Green is the bomb. Oh, yes. Valley Green is like the bomb. So we didn't know about Valley Green because, you know, I grew up in North Philly. Until when? Until, like, I moved into Northwest, <laughs> oh, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. 17 right. years ago. Mm -hmm. So we were just like, what's this? But okay, what are they? What? what is this? Oh, my gosh. So it's like this amazing, like, oasis in the city of mm -hmm. trees and this the walkway. It's a walkway, little river. Horses. Mm -hmm. Like, it is ducks. Mm -hmm. So Valley Green is just, like, the bomb. And it's, it's like getting away from the concrete jungle to actually go to, like, a little... Oasis away. I think people yeah. are finding out though because like in the summer, like I see our people with coolers like on the other side. Oh, no. well, <laughs> Don't mess it up. They are. They are. Oh, they, oh, they pick up your trash. I said they found the river. Oh God, oh, no. you know our people and they love the river. Uh -huh. So, uh, but no, Valley Green has been like just it's, it's it's therapeutic. It's a great place for Philadelphians to just go hang out and yeah. have fun. Little family free. Time, and it's free. Free parking. Good experience, a good talk, a good exercise. Good like for mental stuff. health, too. Yes. Trees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do send people there. Well, I'm so excited about what you're doing, Debbie, for Thank our city you. and how you are one of probably, you know, the few of uh, gems that are in those mm -hmm. places where we really need to see uh, a people of faith presence that are about our city, for our people, for everybody, you know, and uh, you are making a change. So your voice was so important to hearing um, to hearing today because um, in this Philly edition, I think we have to include, if we're going to change our city, the educational piece needs prayer, support, and people to go in there and really uh, do something. And you're at the forefront of it. So that's really neat how God has positioned you. So thank you again for thank being a part of this. And we'll talk soon. Uh, how can people um, maybe learn more about the school or how to get involved? Is there anything, a resource out there? Or maybe just knock on your local school's door, give them a call, and get involved. I'm going to say knock on your local school door. Mm -hmm. And then if that school doesn't want you, there's a school that's going to want you. So right. don't give up. And and don't limit it to uh, a, a school district, a Philadelphia school. Knock on your charter school door. Knock, knock on that private school door. Just knock on the door. Um, and just say, hey, I would love to just kind of talk to the principal or the designee about our church. Our church wants to partner. We want to come alongside the school. We would love to know what are the school's needs and then take it from there. And I know that the, the conversation is going to open a lot of doors. It definitely will. Thanks for joining us. And that's our time for this week's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Cool Christian Nerd Podcast where you can get your digital discipleship fix. Till next time.